Hello, welcome to today's episode of Africa Africa, where we will be covering Mozambique. Um, and no, Mozambique is not just a weapon in Apex Legends, it's an amazing country in Southeast Africa. Um, it's a country that uh, has a rich history, a very rich politics too. Um, and yeah, I hope you enjoy learning about it as much as I did. Um, so yeah, we, with uh, many countries in Africa, I hate having to say this every time, but with many countries in Africa, um, it's hard to really uh, point to very, uh, a very clear or rather like a single um, pre-colonial history, right? Because most of these nations shouldn't even exist, or rather most of these nations only exist because of the colonial intervention. Uh, but we're going to do our best anyway. Um, so in Mozambique, uh, hunter-gatherers distantly related to the uh, Khoisan peoples lived in the area known as Mozambique today for thousands of years. By the 4th century, several Bantu expansions brought iron-working technologies to the area, absorbing the original inhabitants as we've seen across much of Black Africa. Uh, one such Bantu group that settled in Mozambique and still live there today are the Makua people, who um, their folklore and their oral histories tell of a mythical ancestor um, from whom the first man and the first woman were born at Mount Namuli, which is the second highest mountain in all of Tanzania. Um, sorry, no, in all of Mozambique, not Tanzania. Uh, today, the Makua people are the largest ethnic group in Mozambique, numbering at 4 million people, uh, followed by the Sena, the Shona, the Makonde, the Yao, the Swahili, and other smaller ethnic groups. By the 8th century, Arab traders began settling on the coast of Mozambique, just as they did in what is now Kenya and Tanzania, uh, forming what is known as the Swahili Coast, which I've explored in a, a different episode on Tanzania. Take a look at it if you're interested in learning about the Swahili Coast. Um, the Arab merchants uh, traded in gold, ivory, slaves, spices and more, uh, trading with various city-states as well as fully-fledged kingdoms and empires such as the Shona Empire and the, uh, the Fonga Empire, sorry if I'm saying that wrong, both ruling over parts of Mozambique as well as modern-day Zimbabwe. Uh, in 1497, the Portuguese arrived in Mozambique following the voyage of Portuguese colonist Vasco da Gama. They would occupy an Arab island settlement of the coast, turning it into a major slave trading centre. They also conquered the Swahili coast city-state of Safala, which was the most powerful and economically dominant coastal city south of Kilwa, which was famous as far as Oman and Yemen and India. Uh, from their conquered coastal and island possessions, the Portuguese began to spread inwards. Um, <laughs> spread inwards doesn't sound nice. Sounds like they're disease or something. Okay, expand inwards uh, into the continent um, over many centuries, setting up trading and slaving posts along rivers uh, and eventually waging war against the kingdom of Mutapa, uh, which was the strongest, well, one of the strongest African powers in modern-day Mozambique, although it was largely based in Zimbabwe. Uh, the kingdom of Mutapa, or Mwene Mutapa, was said to have been an empire by some. Um, it had extensive control over what is now western Mozambique, lands that would uh, later be conquered and colonized by the Portuguese. Mwene Mutapa was eventually forced to become a Portuguese vassal in 1629, 
ceding control over gold mines as well as valuable trade routes. Similar things happened in nearby Congo, um, where uh, you know all over Portugal's African and uh, Latin. Oh, I'm not so sure about Latin American, but definitely in its uh, African colonies, uh, Portugal set up the Prazos system, which is similar to uh, a Spanish hacienda um, in Latin America. Uh, essentially, these were plantations or estates that would be headed by Portuguese slavers slash colonists uh, with the sole purpose of exploiting that geographic area for its labor and its um, extractable resource wealth. So the Prezeros, who were um, the holders of, of the land or or the people who had the title of the Prazos, which again, both words I'm probably saying wrong because my Portuguese sucks. Um, but the, anyway, stay with me, the, the Prazeros uh, were basically, uh, they were like a king, basically a king in their plot of land. Uh, they were left to administer the area for the interests of colonial exploitation. And they were judge, jury and executioner for legal and social affairs. Um it's really strange when you think about it, right? Like this random Portuguese colonist was basically made king of like a small region or small like town and they could do whatever the hell they want as long as they, you know, continued um, making sure that the gold kept flowing, right? Like it, it, it's very weird when you think about it and kind of horrible too. Um, but yeah, that that was the harsh reality. That was the, the brutality of uh, Portuguese colonialism. I hate having to be so negative when um, when I cover African history, right? Because there's so many positives. There's so many uh, great histories, cool uh, fables like the one we mentioned earlier. Um, you know, the the mythical uh, folklore for the Makua people, right? Um, there's so much of, of this great history that, that I'd love to cover. But in terms of the history of these African nations, unfortunately, a lot of it is just negative, right? Most of it, or at least most of it, you know, during the 18th, 17th, 16th centuries is slavery, right? Colonization, exploitation, plantations. I really do hate that every single episode I have to repeat these things, right? It's like it's the same thing in every single country, but just adapted to its specific um, cultural particularities, right? Or its specific context. Um, but hey, it is what it is. Um, so over time, uh, the administrate and sorry, administration, administration, uh, administration of ex ugh, word salad, the administration and the exploitation of Portugal's expanding colonial enslaving control over what is now Mozambique shifted from being in the hands of the uh, Prazeros to colonial companies, right? Private companies who were based in Lisbon um, and they were essentially the equivalent of Britain's East India Company or France's uh, Morel and Pom. Um, you know, there's also like uh, Lloyds of London and a range of other companies with royal charters or government support. Um, to colonize and exploit land, um, whom we can mention. Uh, these companies were based in almost every single Western European nation, from Belgium to Portugal, England to France, Spain to the Netherlands, um, even Italy, right? They all had their colonial companies um, onto whom they shifted the labor and administration of colonial exploitation. Uh, 
These companies were obviously based in countries that gave them patronage and military support in the form of troops conquering new lands. And so all the profits of exploited labor, you know, from the Prazos, from the Haciendas um, or whatever division of land the, the colonial power came up with, all of the profits of the exploited labor there um, were returned to these home countries in Europe. Uh, and this is a central way in which uh, colonization functioned, right? Rather than the state directly doing the exploiting themselves, which is expensive, right? And, you know, you need manpower, you need civil servants, you need, you know, you, you got to set that up, right? Like colonizing is complicated. Um, so, you know, rather than doing everything directly themselves, uh, rather they left it to civil society in the form of the church, right? The church did so much, especially in terms of education. Education and the colonization was more often than not just left to the church to, to handle, right? Um, so yeah, they left it to, to civil society um, in regards to the church, um, as well as private society in the form of uh, colonial companies who, with the European state's permission, um, and really just a royal charter, if they had a monarchy or like a, I guess, republican or government state charter or whatever, um, if they didn't have a monarchy, they would exploit the living daylight out of um, a colonized territory. Now, this isn't to say that um, the kingdoms and republics of Europe were distant from colonization, right? Because they weren't. They were they were in the thick of it, right? Um, rather, they were they were directly involved, um, but it was more efficient for them to have companies doing some of this exploiting, or even the lion's share, really, of of, of the exploitive. Uh, labor that took place um, rather than the state doing it themselves. Um, now, with that said, the state was still heavily involved as they sent troops to conquer these lands in the first place, right? And to main maintain control by building and filling up forts with their national armies. Um, examples of colonial companies in Mozambique include the Mozambique Company, uh, the Zambezia Company, um, and the Nyasa Company, all involved in slavery, uh, forced labor in mines, plantations, and more. Now, sometimes these companies didn't perform well enough, right? Or they were involved in too many atrocities. For example, in the Congo, uh, which was owned privately by the King of Belgium as the Congo Free State, but it was far from free. Um, in, in the Congo Free State, owned by uh, Leopold of Belgium, um, private companies working for the king used to cut off the hands and the feet of even children, right? If a village didn't produce enough rubber, um, rubber being a very valuable resource at the time, given that, you know, it was used in cars, tanks, etc. and so on. Uh, this led to outrage amongst um, those who were against slavery and colonialism in Europe. Um, a lot of religious elements, which is, you know, cool. That's a good side of religion, I guess. Um you know, the, there was a lot of outrage about the atrocities that, that King Leopold was doing in, in his basically private country, right? Like, it was his land. It was not the Belgian state's land, but him personally. Um, and him and his, his uh, private companies were doing all of these horrible, terrible things. And so um, when many people rallied against it and, and, and tried to call for an end towards um, the, the horrors that were taking place, uh, the Belgian state was forced to intervene and to colonize Congo uh, directly themselves. 
this isn't rare, right? A similar thing happened with the British state intervening and taking control over India from the uh, East India Company. Uh, similarly, in Mozambique, um, under the Estado Novo regime, there was a shift towards direct state control over the colonies rather than, you know, leaving it to um, first the Prazos and then the colonial companies to, you know, to do the exploitation. Um, the reason for this being, you know, Estado Novo is a fascist regime, right? A, a fascist authoritarian regime. And so and they're also totalitarian. They believe in state control in, in everything, right? And that obviously includes colonial exploitation. Um, and so, yeah, these colonial companies were eventually phased out of these lands that they had exploited and enslaved for centuries um, once, once they became official overseas provinces of Portugal. Uh, this doesn't mean that the exploitation uh, became any, any lesser, right? Rather, um, the exploitation continued but evolved into, uh, you know, forms that, that were harder to condemn or, you know, it, it wasn't as easy to recognize the exploitation, right? So, for example, rather than direct slavery with chains, which had been outlawed around the world um, for, for, for uh, decades, at least, you know, by then. Um, so rather than direct slavery, slavery with chains, uh, forced labor was introduced um, and named free labor, right? It was named free labor to give you the illusion that there was no slavery to be had here. There was no exploitation to be had here. These are people electing to work, right? People choosing to mine, people choosing to to you know grow crops on a on a plantation people choosing to cut trees the reality of it is that they were forced to do that labor right it was still forced labor it was coercive labor um there were a, a range of legislation and controls um implemented to control their movement right they couldn't just get up and <laughs> go elsewhere you know they couldn't just go over to the next town looking for a better paying job they couldn't just leave the, the colony the territory you know that there were controls over their movement right? Uh, there were controls over their ability to perhaps unionize, right? They couldn't, as workers, get together and say, hey, we want to be paid more, we want to have less hours, we want to have rights, right? They, they couldn't do that because death would be the answer. Like, that, that's the reality of it. Any, any rebellious activity, as they saw it, would be responded to with death, full stop. Um, furthermore, uh, you know, they were, they were paid pennies, right? They were paid little. They weren't often, they were not paid enough to subsist. And this is the case around um, the entire African continent, as well as, uh, you know, the Caribbean islands, where, again, slavery was replaced with this this coercive so-called free labour. If you look at um, Walter Rodney's How Europe Underdeveloped Africa, I believe there's a part where he points towards um, the population of Africa, right? How it stagnates after the European colonial intervention. That is not normal, right? It's not normal for a continent to stagnate in population for, for years and years and years, for decades and decades, for centuries and... Well, I don't know if it's centuries, but, you know, for a long time, right? It's not normal for any continent to do that right the the um the growth trajectory of any any uh country any state any region any continent is typically upwards right it's typically upwards as we get more food as we develop right as we um you know improve our societies we have more kids our populations um explode well not explode but you know what i mean our populations grow like that is the norm of of um human societies around the globe but not in africa we see that after the first the slave 
the slaving and then the colonial intervention by Europe, we see that Africa's population begins to stagnate. Right, and we see a similar thing in Mozambique. We see population stagnating in parts of the country. We also see um, the economy uh, stagnating. And when I say the economy, I mean the economy for Mozambicans, right? For Black African Mozambicans, their economic development stagnated. Right? They weren't getting richer. They weren't getting better clothes. They weren't getting more food. Right? They were stagnating. They they had enough to feed. You know, feed themselves so that they can continue working for the colonists. That's it, right? But but what economic growth we did see was in Portugal, right? Portugal became incredibly rich off the back of slavery in Mozambique and its other colonies, um, off the back of you know the, the forced labor in, in gold mines, um, forced labor on on plantations, um, etc. and so on. Right? We see economic growth in uh, Portugal as well as. Uh, the growth of Portuguese settlers, right? Because um, Portugal essentially had its, uh, you know, native white citizens go over to, you know, Guinea-Bissau, go over to Angola, go over to Brazil, which, you know, they, they settled big time, um, and Mozambique, right? They had their uh, white settlers go over to these colonies, and we see that their populations were growing without a problem, Um but once more, right, like native local populations began to stagnate, um, particularly after the colonial intervention, which says a lot about colonization. It was not about development. It was not about, you know, bringing society or civilization, <laughs> because clearly like the the stats don't lie. Right. The numbers don't lie. The facts don't lie. We see that um, colonization and slavery have brought nothing but stagnation if not outright despair and destruction to so many communities around the african continent mozambique included um but enough of that ron let's get back to um mozambique so yeah with with this form of labor free labor um we would rightly say this is modern slavery today right if we had that that same labor system today we'd be like yo that is off <laughs> you know <laughs> that's modern slavery like there's no doubt about it um and on the topic of slavery, over the years, Portugal, once again, they made a fortune from the slave market that they capitalized on. Um, with the slave market, it did predate the Portuguese intervention, right? Um, as mentioned earlier, the Arab traders have been there since, I believe, I believe it was the 7th or 9th century. Um, and they traded in slaves too, right? The Arabs traded in slaves as well as gold, as well as um, spices and other, other things, Um and, and, you know, slavery isn't unique to the transatlantic slave trade, right? Slavery is something that most, if not all, societies in the world have seen. What makes European slavery unique is the dehumanization that, that, that came along with it, right? Like, Europe didn't treat slaves as members of society, right? European uh, bourgeois forces did not treat slaves as people, right? They were cargo. They, they were things. They were, they were even beneath animals, you know, tools. That's it. Right. Not people. Um, and, and again, that's what makes uh, European colonial slavery or transatlantic slavery unique. The fact that people were dehumanized and they were dehumanized through the process of racialization, um, you know, the, the imposing of racial identities amongst these people. Um, and in a nation that, you know, as I mentioned before, Mozambique had so many or still has rather, so many different ethnic groups, right? The Makua, the Yao, the Swahili, um, ju just three amongst six, seven, eight, nine, ten, like so many different and diverse peoples. But they were all collapsed into one identity as Negroes. That's it. That That's what they were 
to, to the Portuguese. That's what they were forced to be to the Portuguese. And it was their dehumanization and racialization as Negroes who were presented as being backward, savage, dumb, um, subhuman, right? All, all of these words used in, you know, literature produced by Europe um, and, and, and other cultural productions um, building the Negro identity. Um because they were reduced to this, then their inhumane enslavement was justified, right? And 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 this is another thing I want to distinguish. Like slavery in other societies was, I'm not going to say it was more humane, right? Because slavery, is slavery, you know, it, it it's still it's still like, yeah, appalling and and um, unjustifiable, right? But we see that um, if we look at the Quran, for example, we see that slavery in let's say the Middle East, we see that there were certain rules to it right we see that there were punishments for you know people who treated their slaves in a, in a certain way because at the end of the day slaves were still seen as human beings so, like that is the key um distinguishing fact right this is what distinguishes european colonial slavery from all other forms of slavery the fact that europe had to dehumanize people but um I, I get that I'm ranting on slavery again. So once more, let's go back to the topic of Mozambique. So um, there was actually a really cool story of, well, not cool because he was enslaved, but um, a Mozambican uh, slave called uh, Yasuke. You might have heard of him. He was uh, taken from Mozambique and he was brought um, along with Portuguese traders to Japan during the uh, Nanban period. And uh, he became a trusted soldier uh, serving under Japanese Lord Oda Nobunaga. Um, and he's even mentioned and described in the Lord Nobunaga Chronicle. Um, uh, just a, I guess, cool fact I thought I'd mention. Um, but it also just shows how global um, Portuguese slavery was, right? And this isn't obviously just unique to to the Portuguese. You know, the Dutch did this, the, the, Brit the British, sorry, did this, the French did this, right? Transporting and transplanting um, entire populations of peoples around the globe to to suit their trading and labor needs um, and so you know Mozambicans were enslaved and brought to bases as far as Japan as far as Brazil too right they were brought to literally every single continent um, of the world by Portuguese uh, slavers um, but yeah so so that was uh, Mozambique under Portuguese rule right um it was characterized by exploitation, first in the form of slavery and then in the form of exploited colonial so-called free labor. Um, eventually, uh, in, as the wave of uh, anti-colonial independence swept through the African continent in the 1960s, uh, more and more protests were held in Mozambique, um, criticizing the, you know, again, the free labor that um, still left them penniless and, and uh, you know, hard worked. Um, and people demanded independence, right? Independence and freedom from Portuguese rule. Now, there was the Moreda Massacre in 1960, uh, which saw the Portuguese slaughter dozens of peaceful protesters. And by 1964, after refusing numerous requests and demands for an end to direct colonialism, a war of independence broke out. It is widely accepted that the colony, like most other colonies, was being run for the economic gain of mainland Portugal, 
And so the native black African communities who had been oppressed and exploited for far too long, um, eventually they had enough. They rose up. And, um, you know, a, a big thing that led to this uprising was the fact that Portugal refused to give any independence, right? They refused. Um, unlike Britain and France, who at least gave flag independence, um, but that's a rant for another video. Uh, but unlike Britain and France, who at least gave flag independence to their African colonies, Portugal outright refused. And again, they wanted these African colonies, uh, you know, Guinea-Bissau, Angola, Mozambique, to be overseas provinces of Portugal. Um, and so, uh, yeah, a, a, an uprising took place um, in which... Uh, well, you know, following like the Moreda massacre and other massacres too, um, in, in which armed guerrilla groups such as the Front for the Liberation of Mozambique or Filimo, uh, led by Samoa Michel and Eduardo Monlane, uh, fought a 13 year long campaign for freedom. Uh, the death toll was high and it included Monlane, um, one of the founders of Filimo, um, who was assassinated by the Portuguese secret police as part of a campaign of terror that was carried out in Mozambique. Tortures, murders, uh, abductions, among a range of other horrible human rights abuses um, took place and they were only brought to an end by the Carnation Revolution in 1974 in Portugal, which saw the fall of the fascist regime following a coup d'etat um, in which uh, left-leaning military officers who were upset with the huge losses Portugal was taking in Mozambique and in Angola and Guinea-Bissau, um, these left-leaning officers uh, took power. They, they got rid of the fascists um, and, yeah, Portugal became a democracy again. Um, along with Portugal becoming a democracy, its colonies we're finally free, right? Um, but, you know, don't get it twisted. Even if this didn't happen, those colonies would have been... They would have fought for their freedom regardless. Like, Portugal was bleeding. They were losing soldiers and with it, money. Um, they, they just could not sustain, like, not just one, not two, but three guerrilla campaigns, right? In Guinea-Bissau, um, under Amilcar Cabral, in, in Mozambique, under uh, Samoa Michel, um, and in Angola, under... Uh, I think it's Dos Santos. Uh, I should have probably looked into that. But yeah, three guerrilla campaigns. Like they, There was no way that Portugal was ever going to win it. Um, and, and that's why those military officers, um, or, or rather it's a big reason why those military officers felt compelled to act um, and to put an end to otherwise never-ending wars. Uh, these wars were basically Portugal's Vietnam, right? But it wasn't just one Vietnam, it was three Vietnams. Um, so yeah, that should help you really understand um, the independence conflict of not just Mozambique, but you know also again Angola and Guinea-Bissau. Uh, so following um, you know the the freedom and independence of Mozambique, uh, a quarter of a million Portuguese settlers left Mozambique in a similar way to how many white South Africans left their nation after the end of apartheid. Uh, Mozambique became independent the next year under the control of Frilimo, who uh, established a Marxist one-party state under the leadership of Samora Michel. Uh, a Truth and Reconciliation Committee was set up to investigate various crimes that had been committed during the independence wars, such as the Wiriyami massacre in which 300 innocent men, women and children um, were put to death and slaughtered by uh, Portuguese secret police. Um, 
it said that you know they were even locked in their homes and grenades were chucked in right this is the kind of violence that portugal was you know freely committing in 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 its colonies um obviously you had you know people like united nations condemning it you had you know resolutions um you know condemning it as well but you know words are just words right there there was no action there was no intervention by the united states um or intervention by uh, European powers who you know believed in human rights but didn't care enough to to act on it right didn't care enough to stop one of their own Portugal from you know committing these atrocities year after year um, the Soviet Union however they didn't stand idly by as did Cuba right like they sent soldiers to Angola for example to help there um, to help both in the independence war and the uh, civil war that that followed uh, but you know throughout the independence war um you know the soviet union gave arms weapons logistics etc um yeah which is good on them i guess uh, but you know personally i do think they could have done way more uh but i guess that's uh, that's just my opinion um now anyways uh, after the um truth and reconciliation committee which i will post a brilliant video on this um in the comments below if you're watching this on youtube uh you know two years after the independence and freedom of mozambique it fell into a civil war with anti-communist soldiers uh the mozambique national resistance or renamo taking up arms against Frilimo. Renamo were given uh, money and weapons by apartheid South Africa as well as apartheid Rhodesia, uh, whilst Frilimo had the support of Zimbabwe, Tanzania and Malawi who recognised Renamo as an oppressive pro-capitalist force who even used child soldiers as well as uh, you know, apartheid blood money. Uh, Renamo also littered the Mozambican countryside with landmines which took all the way until 2015 to fully clear. In 1986, um, Samoa Michel's plane crashed uh, with Soviet experts suggesting uh, military intelligence agents from the apartheid regime uh, may have played a role in, in causing the crash. Um, however, uh, this is inconclusive. There's no hard evidence. Um, not hard evidence, but there's not enough evidence to you know be 100% certain of this. Um, Michel's death was key in the outcome of the war as his successor abandoned Marxism and began peace talks with Renamo. Um, a truth and uh, sorry, a truce and a peace agreement was agreed with the assistance of the United Nations and third party actors. Um, multi party elections were to be held and capitalism embraced according to the 1990 constitution. Fulimo won the first election and every election since. Uh, there have been, you know, recurring issues with guerrilla activities by Renamo, as well as, um, oddly enough, activities from uh, the Islamic State. Um, but, you know, overall, peace has largely been maintained in Mozambique. Um, so, yeah, 30 minutes. That is Mozambican history. Um, that's just me being very reductive here. This is, God, like thousands of years <laughs> reduced to 30 minutes. So please don't, you know, take this as any... Um, authoritative or uh, even even a detailed account of Mozambican history um, but once more I'm going to link a lot of sources in the uh, details as well as that video that if you're listening you should watch this video um, on the truth and reconciliation committee in Mozambique led by Samora Michel in which they spoke to Mozambicans who had collaborated with the Portuguese um, and they uncovered so many horrible truths of, of crimes that happened um, once again, as I mentioned earlier, I hate having to be so negative with African history. Like, 
you know, there's so much great positive history out there, right? There's so much great positive cultural events out there, right? And and I have mentioned some, such as you know the the, the folklore of the Makua people, but um, it's kind of impossible, I guess, once more, it's impossible to avoid uh, avoid these atrocities, right? Avoid slavery, avoid colonialism when this is central. Like the, the truth is, this is just central to the histories and to the entire existence of these nations that otherwise would not exist. Um, yeah, that, that's it for today's episode. Um, as usual, uh, if you have feedback, let me know. Um, otherwise, thank you for listening and goodbye.